In this episode of Ask Paul Kirtley, we're going to be talking about feather stick wood choice, remedying chips in an axe edge, and washing down sleeping bags and hydrophobic down. Welcome, welcome to episode 74 of Ask Paul Kirtley, where I answer your questions about bushcraft, survival, and outdoor life. And if you've not listened to or watched an Ask Paul Kirtley before, I'm Paul Kirtley. Um, what I do for a living is teach bushcraft and wilderness skills. I'm also a qualified mountain leader and a qualified canoe leader. So I bring a lot of different aspects to my thoughts on the outdoors and share my experience and knowledge with you the best I can in answering these questions. And if you want to ask a question and ask Paul Kirtley, you do it via my blog at paulkirtley.co.uk. If you go to that place and click on Ask Paul Kirtley or just go straight to paulkirtley.co.uk forward slash Ask Paul Kirtley, you'll find out more there about how to ask a question. There's four ways, basically, you can send me an email, you can leave a voice message, you can make a public post on Twitter using the hashtag Ask Paul Kirtley, and you can make a public post video or photograph on Instagram using the hashtag Ask Paul Kirtley. Don't send me direct messages on Facebook and whatnot. Um, I will find those difficult to collate uh, later on. Uh, there's four very easy ways of making sure that I see things when I search. Um, either they go to my inbox via a voice message or an email, or they are easily searchable on Twitter or Instagram when I search on the special hashtag. So there's four ways there that you can ask a question and uh, I'll do my best to answer it on Ask Paul Kirtley. So questions today are, first off, this is a voice message uh, from Vince. Let me just see if I can get this to work. Hi Paul, Vince Leroy here. First of all, just like to start by saying thanks very much for the invaluable information you impart. It's very much appreciated. My question is regarding feather sticks. Now I've done feather sticks with you on the elementary course. Um, but my question is regarding the materials that you would use for feather sticks, i.e. are there certain woods that are very good and some trees that you would avoid making feather sticks from? Thanks very much. All the best. All right. So question from Vince there about feather sticks. And um, Vince did an elementary uh, wilderness bushcraft course with me earlier in the year. Um, he did another course with me last year. Um, he's pretty into his fire lighting. He's pretty knowledgeable on his trees as well. So that's a really good question to help further his knowledge. Um, feather sticks. So generally what we want is something that's dead, something that's dry, um, and something that's standing. And I know Vince knows that, but let's just start from the, the, the beginning for most people's benefit. Dead, dry, standing wood. Um, standing because it's going to be less wet um, it, than if it's lying on the ground or if it's lying at an angle there's going to be less um, moisture in there from rain or snow or, or what have you so dead dry standing 
Um, and then what we're looking for in terms of the specifics of the materials, we want material that's quite straight grained um, because we're going to split that material out and we're going to carve those nice curls. Um, and if you're not familiar with what a feather stick is at all, um, I'll link to an article on my blog about making feather sticks um, where you can uh, get some more idea on how to make feather sticks, the, uh, the carving skills and uh, a couple of tips and tricks there for you. And I'll link that in the, the notes below the videos, whether it's on YouTube or my blog. And I'll also um, in YouTube put a link at the top there. And so if you're listening to this on a podcast, any of the links that I talk about, you can go to paulkirtley.co.uk forward slash and then go to the episode, Ask Paul Kirtley 74, you can always do that, uh, Ask Paul Kirtley 74, uh, whichever episode we're talking about, just as a general rule, you can do that. So if you're listening, you, you just go to that episode and there's a short link there that you can go straight to that um, or just find it on my blog. And below the video and below the audio player will be any links that I talk about in here. So just to remind you that any links that I talk about, whether they're on my sites or other people's websites around the web, I will collate them all together there. So you don't have to be making notes or trying to scribble them down while you're on the bus or driving. Hopefully nobody's making notes while they're driving. And wherever you're listening to this as a podcast, you can go straight to my blog when you get the chance and get all of the links for further reading, further watching, further study, if you wish. So just to remind people about that, particularly if you're new to Ask Paul Kirtley. So um, feather sticks, you want straight grained wood and I will put a nice article there on my blog for you to see about making them. And then you also want knot free wood if possible. And if there are knots in the wood, because it's, it's often difficult to get completely knot free wood, most species of tree have some sort of side branches at some point in their lives, and therefore there are gonna be some knots in there. Um, if you have a knot, you basically wanna cut the rounds of wood that you're using so that the knot is at one end and the rest is pretty clear of knots. Little pin knots are not gonna to be too much of an issue um, once your, your skills are okay and your knife is sharp. Um, but if you've got any larger knots, I would have them at the top end of the stick if possible, where you're gonna be holding it. So you're not gonna be shaving there anyway because your hand's gonna be there. So that first couple of inches or you know four centimeters can have a knot in it, it's not a problem because that's where your hand's going to be and you're not going to be bringing the knife there. Um, but the rest wants to be straight grained and relatively not free. So that then gives us some indications to the species we, we might want to look for. So things like Scots pine. So let's talk about this side of the um, Atlantic specifically at the moment. Scots pine, um, sort of dead standing small Scots pine trees are really good because they tend to grow with pretty straight grained, not free sections between where most of the knots are. Things like lodgepole pine tend to do the same as well on the other side of the Atlantic. Um, uh, Pinus banksiana though, jack pine is a lot more knotty and contorted. White pine would be a better option for example. So there's pines on both sides of the pond where a lot of listeners are to this podcast where you're going to find pines for example dead standing small pines that are going to provide you with the 
with the good materials. And also you may get the benefit of them being quite resinous as well. That fat wood that people seem to prize uh, could give you an added advantage as well. But primarily you want it dead, dry standing, straight grained and relatively not free. And you can cut between those knotty sections um, and get that nice straight grained bit. Um, some of the spruces will give you similar similar uh, sections but they tend to be a lot more knotty, they tend to be a lot more branched when they're small, the classic kind of Christmas tree for example. Things like balsam fir and some of the silver firs will give you some nice uh, sections as well um, if we're talking about the, uh, the needled species. Um, some of the, the, the larches, the Larix genus, larches, tamaracks, they tend to be quite knotty as well and not so great. Um, better options would be, uh, say, cedars, um, so eastern white cedar, western red cedar. Even though they've often got small pin knots in there, you can get nice straight grained uh, sections. And you know how nice, uh, if you've used cedars at all, you know how nicely it splits and it, it carves really finely. You can make really wonderful feather sticks from cedars. Um, in terms of the uh, deciduous species, willow tends to be quite good, tends to be quite fine uh, wood that carves quite nicely. Um, but even fairly coarse grained, you know, quick growing species like uh, sweet chestnut, you can make half decent feather sticks with, and actually they're quite good for practicing for some of the um, some of the pinaceae uh, species as well because um, they split in a similar way um, and often um, have a similar grain structure so they're quite good to practice with um, things like lime are nice although you don't see that so often you could even use sycamore um, dead standing again although that can be a bit brittle um, Birch doesn't work super well, although you can make some okay feather sticks with birch. There's, there's lots to lots to play with there. I would avoid uh, things like hawthorn, blackthorn, the fruit woods, you know, apple, pear, all of the hardwoods that are quite contorted in the way that they grow. Elder doesn't um, really lend itself, you know, some of the prunus, things like cherries. Yeah, you know, prunus avium um, would work okay, although there's a lot nicer things you can do with that uh, generally, uh, and you don't always find, don't often find dead standing bits. You know, if we're thinking about things we're gonna find out in the wilder places, I'd look at um, pines, I would look at willows, I would look at maples, I would look at cedars um, in particular, um, and they're going to give you some uh, good straight sections where you've got dead standing stuff. So good places to start. Have a play with all of those um, and then we'll see if we can think of some more for you. And don't forget to check out that article on, on making feather sticks. Okay, this is a post on Instagram from um, Mick Mercer about uh, remedying a chip or a couple of chips in his axe edge. So there's a picture there where uh, Mick has taken a couple of little almost symmetrical dinks out of his axe um, and he asks, I recently used my axe on a multi-day trip and somehow managed to put a big dent in the cutting edge. My questions are, in what way is the axe performance degraded by such damage? 
does the entire nick need to be sharpened out or will the axe perform well with it still having a small nick once sharpened? I sharpened the nick out as a personal punishment for making such a mess of the axe as I'm sure I could have avoided it. I thought of doing the whole job with a 6,000 grit just to make the point to myself, but in the end went through the grits. Still took a long time. Thanks, Mick. Okay. Um, well, first off, Mick, I think you've been a bit hard on yourself. That's not a particularly large dink in an axe edge. I've seen much worse. Um, that's a little nick, really, and um, nothing much to, to worry about. Maybe you were being uh, hard on yourself because you know how you did it and you realize okay well I've hit some stones or, or whatever that you've that you've hit and that's caused me to do that and you feel a bit silly for doing that that's fair enough but I wouldn't worry too much about that of course we want nice edges on our cutting tools but in terms of your day-to-day -day, I'm just looking back at the picture in, in terms of your day-to-day -day use of the axe for things like splitting you know firewood around camp um, roughly hewing um, camp utensils making spoons and ladles and you know all the things around camp that's not going to affect things too much even felling you know it's not going to affect things too much and I've had nicks like that. Um, sometimes they appear uh, and you're not quite sure how they've appeared. Um, and basically I just, I just remove them over a number of sharpens because what I don't want to do is shorten the life of my axe dramatically by taking a millimetre off the edge just because there's a tiny little nick in there. Um, so generally I would just sharpen it um, a, a number of times when it's needed and, and remove it that way. Um, if you really do need to remove a, a nick um, while you're out and about or even in your shed, um, in your workshop, I'd use a file, I'd use a metal file to start off with and um, you can use a coarse one to start off with and then a finer one um, and then you can move back to your stones. Do be careful about taking material off symmetrically though, you don't want to end up with an asymmetrical cross section to your um, axe bevel, you want to make sure that it stays nice and centred, that edge not being offset on your general purpose bushcraft, um, outdoor axes as it were. Um, there are some really extreme ways of getting rid of dinks if you put big dinks in, so in terms of rubbing the edge on a stone or on a file to, to, to take it right back down again and then sharpening it up again. But for the size of dink that you've got there, it's, it's definitely not necessary. One thing I would um, note though is whenever you're sharpening, make sure you're taking metal off the whole bevel where it's shiny there don't just take metal off towards the edge because you'll end up changing the blade profile the axes um, that we tend to use the general purpose axes like the grand spores the vetterlings or the hultifors etc they tend to have um, convex bevels and if you just sharpen them like your bushcraft knife where you're taking the stone to the edge close to the edge you're going to end up with a flattened secondary bevel on that and that's going to make it harder to sharpen in the long run it might also make it more depending on exactly what angle you set that at you might end up making it more prone to dinks as well you want to keep that convex shape so what you need to do is make sure you're taking metal off the whole bevel by varying the angle using your sharpening stone um, and people keep asking me about axe sharpening and i really should do a, a video on it before too long so um, 
I will try and get that made in the coming months on using a small stone like the Gransfors stone or a Falcon even TK4 even a, a, a DC4 even uh, for sharpening your small forest axe for example I think that would be useful to a lot of people um, axe sharpening seems to be an area that people uh, some people struggle with so I will uh, I will add that to my list of things to make in the not too distant future I hope well, thanks for the question Mick um, this question is from Sebastian von Overheit and this is sent to me via email and his question is hi Paul first of all I'm a huge fan of your YouTube channel and can't thank you enough for sharing your experience and knowledge with all your viewers I'm originally from Germany and have been hiking and backpacking in the south of Bavaria for many years since 2015 I live in Vancouver Canada so I've got another level of nature and adventures to explore right on my doorstep I'm constantly expanding my skills and knowledge and your videos and podcast is an amazing source of knowledge to my question in your episode lightning the load part one on sleeping systems you clearly advise against trying to clean or wash a down sleeping bag at home but to give it to a professional cleaning service instead could you share some of your experiences on that subject i've got a mountain hardware ratio 15 uh, with hydrophobic down and my old lafuma down sleeping bag i've treated with nick wax downproof after washing it at home with nick wax down wash direct i have to mention that i have a front loading washing machine and a dryer at home and put the recommended tennis balls in the dryer as well all seems fine so far i think but it was the first time i've done it and i'd be grateful to hear any further details about your concerns if you have any thoughts on hydrophobic down in general i'd be interested to hear those as well thank you sebastian um, so there's a number of questions in there, but they all centre on the, 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 you know, whether it's sensible to wash your down bag at home or whether or not you should take it uh, or send it to a professional cleaning service. And um, so my experiences with that are um, that over time down bags, uh, when you use them, tend to reduce in their performance as the down becomes matted with dirt with grease um, and that can that will be from you and it will be from the environment and um, then they lose their warmth and that can be a season or two's warmth that's lost um, from the bag over time if you let them get really dirty so the first thing just as a general point not so much for Sebastian but this is a general point for listeners is do make the effort to try and keep your sleeping bag clean whether you're using a down bag or a synthetic bag any sleeping bag will reduce in performance if it is dirty because it doesn't loft as well and it doesn't hold as much air and therefore you won't stay as warm um, so that's why we're interested in cleaning bags um, as well as keeping them clean um, I find they get most dirty most quickly around the hood. Um, I do tend to use a silk sleeping bag liner in down bags, not so much in summer weight bags because I'm often too warm in that combination um, or I'm just trying to be super lightweight and I will just um, reduce the weight even further. But um, the other advantage that a silk bag liner gives you is that you can pretty much 
just sleep in the silk bag liner if you want to as well. So um, it depends on what you're going for. Winter bags, I tend to use a silk liner as well. It'll certainly take a silk liner um, and that will increase the warmth as well as keep it clean for longer. Um, so where your where your liner isn't is where your face and your head is and clearly you're not necessarily washing your hair every day and face every day on a trip etc etc and you're going to be a bit more greasy than you are at home when you're showering every day perhaps and that puts quite a lot of muck into that part of the sleeping bag and you can see the hood uh, the, the 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 hood area and above the baffles um, tends to get quite greasy and it tends to mat down um, more than the rest but over time the rest of the bag will reduce in performance as well and so I've cleaned quite dirty sleeping bags in my washing machine at home and it doesn't get that grease out as well as sending it to a professional service it just doesn't and and in fact one occasion i tried to clean a four season down bag in my washing machine at home and it came out sort of half clean um, it also took me about three days to get the thing dry um, after 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 using it and the down was all clumped and i kept having to unclump it um, while and it was hung outside in quite sunny weather and it still took several days to get properly dry and properly lofted i had to regularly sort of unclump the down um, so there's a faff there's sort of an irritation factor there yes you can put them into uh, tumble dryers and, and and sort of fluff them up that way but even so um, you need to be careful with them um, because they are uh, they are quite delicate the contents are quite delicate and the down can clump together and stay clumped together so you often end up having to sort of prise it apart and even so um, to cut a long story short um, it still needed sending off to the cleaners because I wasn't happy. And I was using Nikwax and it does work. I think the Nikwax down material, the down um, cleaner works well on, on down jackets that are quite small. And I think it works well enough on two season, two to three season sleeping bags. Um, although, as I say, if they're particularly dirty, they don't tend to come out as clean as if you use uh, a professional cleaning service. Um, and so, once you get onto the larger bags they tend to be too heavy with too much down to wash in a domestic washer anyway and they take a long time to get dry even in warm conditions and um, when you can get them out in the sunshine i found that you've had to sort of unclump them um, manually and it's also a waste of time that I could be doing something else with, frankly. So um, for all of those reasons, while yes, it is possible to wash your own lightweight, you know, two to three season hiking down bags at home and probably put them in the tumble dryer. Frankly, I just find it easier to send them to a, uh, a professional cleaning service. They come back like new, they smell nice, they're fully lofted, there's no grease, there's no dirt, and it's like having a brand new bag again when it was looking pretty grim before I sent it. And it costs not too much money at the end of the day. In the UK, the service that I use, it costs about 35 pounds um, to have one cleaned. And I don't do it that often. As I say, I try and use a silk liner with those bags, which extends how often, uh, that extends between the periods you have to clean them. So um, having tried both, 
I just like to send them off. It, I know that I'm going to get a consistent service. It doesn't take any of my time. Yes, I have to pay for it, um, but it doesn't take up a lot of time in terms of managing the wash, managing the drying, managing the re-lofting of the bag. Um, it's just a time versus money thing for me, as well as fundamentally, you get a consistent result with any of your bags, whether they're lightweight or heavyweight from getting them sent off to a professional cleaning service. So that's, that's, that's my thinking on that. Hydrophobic down as well. I would just be a bit careful about cleaning that in a, in a domestic washing, uh, washing uh, unit as well because hydrophobic down has, is treated in a certain way. Um, so without giving generalized rules, I would look at the manufacturer's um, recommendations for cleaning for those bags, because the more technical the uh, material, the more carefully you often have to treat it, or the more specifically uh, the treatment, the washing, uh, the reproofing, if you like, needs to be. So I would look at what the recommendations are of the manufacturer and, and follow those, frankly. So that brings us to the end of episode 74 of Ask Paul Kirtley, and I will look forward to answering more of your questions on Ask Paul Kirtley episode 75 before too long. And if you are listening to this on your favorite podcast platform, please remember to subscribe. And if you're watching on YouTube, please remember to subscribe if you'd like to hear or watch more Ask Paul Kirtleys. And please like this video as it will help other people see it too. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. And I look forward to receiving more of your questions going forwards. Take care and enjoy the outdoors.